Jude, verses 8 through 10, are going to be the our text for this evening as we continue through our study of this epistle of Jude. So verse 8, we begin, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. I do want you to notice in the next verse, uh, we find the statement, Woe unto them. So these are really, in a sense, even the examples that are given to us tonight, specifically in verse 8, when he lists the, these individuals or, or describes them, um, this is in one sense a woe unto them. And we'll get to that eventually, not tonight, but this is a woe unto them even now. He just hasn't gotten that far in, in the epistle to make the statement yet, but yet the woe is still upon them. So as we, as we continue our study through Jude this evening, we will begin an examination of the fourth of the seven divisions within this epistle. And these divisions include the first, which is Jude's greeting, verses 1 and 2. We've already seen this. The second, Jude's purpose, verses 3 and 4, which we've also studied already. And we've studied the third, Jude's warnings, verses 5 through 7. The fourth, which we begin tonight, is reality, in reality, Jude's woe, verses 8 through 13. And then the fifth is Jude's reminder, verses 14 through 16. The sixth is Jude's exhortation, verses 17 through 23. And then the seventh and last is Jude's doxology, which is verses 24 and 25. Now these six verses, verses 8 through 13, making up this fourth division, provide a a more detailed description of the ones Jude mentioned in verse 4. This is still all really being centered around these individuals that are focused on in verse 4 who have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness or licentiousness or licentia or freedom or license to sin. And hopefully, as we have studied thus far and as we continue to see tonight, I hope that you are already making the connection and understanding these of whom Jude speaks or writes, and you see and discern the connection concerning these wicked men throughout the third and now fourth divisions of this epistle. In other words, the warnings in verses 5 through 7, which we just finished last week, and now the description provided in verses 8 through 13, are all concerning the same wicked men which Jude has mentioned in verse 4. And again, verse 4 clearly states, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything that has been mentioned from this point forward is in reference to these men. Jude is, and, and remember, prior to verse 4 is verse 3 in which Jude gives his, his, the purpose for writing this entire epistle in verses um, 3 and 4 specifically, but verse 3 tells us that Jude writes, even though he desired to write concerning the, this common salvation, remember he said, it was needful that I write unto you that you earnestly contend for the faith. And so contending for the faith or the faith, the truth that God has handed down, delivered unto the believer um, through, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the law, Christ fulfilled that law. And now as we have the scriptures uh, today, this is the faith. This is the foundation. This is the, this is the, uh, 
the truth upon which we stand, upon our, which our entire belief is based and founded upon, and our entire belief hinges on the truths of God's Word. And so, all of these things that Jude now mentions, as it, even in the warnings and now in this fourth division concerning these woes, is in relation to these men who crept in unawares in verse 4. They are still the ones of whom Jude is writing. And it's important that you see that connection and not disconnect the warnings and now the woes and so on and so forth from that uh, context in which Jude has written this epistle. And so the question which we must answer tonight is a simple one. And I've already said to you that in these verses, Jude describes or gives a description of these men that he mentioned in verse 4. And so the simple question is this. How does Jude describe these men? Or what characteristics mark such men who pervert the grace of God into freedom and excuse to sin? Because, again, this is the matter at hand. Contend for the faith. Why? Because there are those who pervert the truth and pervert the grace of God and who use the grace of God as though this is an excuse or a means or a license or a freedom for sin or to sin and so there are characteristics that mark those who embrace such a heretical idea or or thought concerning the grace of god verse 8 we read likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh despise dominion and speak evil of dignities now the adverb likewise is is used to show the comparison between these wicked men in verse 4 and the three historical examples provided in verses 5 through 7. So let's go back again. He speaks in verse 4 of these who have turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, licentiousness, freedom to sin, or a license to sin. Then in verse 5, he goes on to speak of them, saying, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt... Afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Just as these examples... And their certain judgment, the example of Israel and their unbelief in the wilderness, the fallen angels who were not content, of course, if you recall, apathy, discontentment, and then as well Sodom and Gomorrah who were gave themselves over to sinful indulgence. We've seen these warnings. We find that so are these, just as these examples, so also are these who pervert the grace of God into freedom to sin. And that's the comparison that's being made. I believe it is worthy for me to emphasize once again the seriousness of such a perverted attitude and view of God's grace. There are so many today who view God's grace as, again, as though, you know, I, I can just do what I want because I'm under grace, not under the law. Look, a view of grace, like such a perverted view of grace, Jude is explaining, is exceptionally dangerous, and, and, and one who views such is under condemnation, just as these three examples that have been listed. The description Jude provides of these individuals in our text tonight is quite enlightening as to the depths of their wicked condition. First of all, notice what he says. They are filthy dreamers. Look at verse 8 again. 
Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. So likewise, in the same manner, in the same manner as what? Specifically, those of Sodom and Gomorrah, but also the fallen angels and also unbelieving Israel. In the same manner, these men who pervert the grace of God, who turn this grace of God into freedom to sin, he says they are filthy dreamers. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. Now, the translators of the King James Version added the adjective filthy. It's obviously been it's in italics. It's not in the actual text. And, and they do so to, to give a descriptive, they use it in a manner as a descriptive uh, means to define or describe uh, the depraved nature of those who turn the grace of God into a license to sin. Now, it, it is believed by some that this reference to these men as dreamers is regarding the basis for the following descriptions concerning the actions of these wicked individuals. Let me explain. In other words, the wicked actions of these individuals was a result of their wicked imagination. Now, obviously, that is true. I'm not saying that's all this means, but obviously this is true. And we see that even detailed throughout other scriptures. Um, As we considered Romans chapter 1 last week, this is clearly defined within this epistle of, of Paul to the Romans. Romans 1, 21 and 22, and then verse 28. He said, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Now, when he says knew God here, he's not talking about was that they were in a relationship with God as in salvific relationship, but rather he's saying that God has made himself known through creation. He, they, men know that there is something, someone greater than, man knows there's something or someone greater than himself. And as I've mentioned previously, we come into this world with a world that's already existing, a world that is already operating, a world that has had people who have lived and died long before we ever came on the scene. We are immediately aware, as soon as we are able to form thought, we become aware that this world is much bigger than us. There is much more going on here. It doesn't center on us. I mean, we really understand that this is just not the case. And so, in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, when it says they knew God, again, it's not saying they were in a relationship with Him, because to know God is to glorify Him. To know Him in a relationship is to be in awe of who He is. No, but He's revealed Himself in a general sense to mankind, and men refuse to glorify Him. Then He goes on, and He says, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Then verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The imagination of man is inherently wicked, and without the Holy Spirit's intervention, men will continue to manifest just how wicked he is and how wicked he can be. The Old Testament explains this truth when describing the condition of of man prior to the flood of Noah's day. In Genesis 6, 5, we read, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So again, we see the imagination of man's heart, the imaginations of the mind is what's being referenced here, that they were continually wicked and evil before the Lord. And unless God intervenes, that's exactly how man will manifests his own wicked, depraved nature in that he continues to demonstrate this wicked, unbridled, uh, sinful 
self-centered, selfish, self-gratifying lifestyle and actions and whatever that may, may involve. Number two, we see also, it says not only that they were filthy dreamers or these dreamers, but they defile the flesh. Now, while the flesh is already defiled, that's a question, isn't it not? Is it not? Well, how do you defile a flesh that's already defiled? Well, that's kind of the point. It's a defiled flesh that they continue to defile. It's a defiled flesh that continues to manifest ungodliness, unrighteousness, unwicked, or, and, and wickedness. And this speaks, this defiling the flesh speaks to the intentional persistence of such individuals to continue to pollute their bodies. Throughout the Old Testament, we find that the verb defile is used in relation often to sexual sins. Examples of that, and I won't read all of these to you, but Genesis 34, verse 13 and verse 27. Leviticus chapter 18, the entire chapter, multiple times this is referenced. And then Hosea chapter 5, verse 3, and chapter 6, verse 10. The scriptures clearly teach, and that's not all of them by any means, just some examples. The scriptures clearly teach that men left to themselves will not only self-destruct, as Romans 1 clearly teaches us, but they will do so, as Romans 1 also teaches us, in the most base manner which they can possibly imagine. And such wicked imagination most certainly is then demonstrated and manifested through sexual sins, through a fornication, which is sexual immorality. It doesn't mean just one type, it's multiple. And, and so this is the, the imagination of the mind, the wickedness of the heart, will be manifested unbridled, if unbridled, by this immorality, this continued base immorality and disregard for truth and God and and holiness altogether. Again, Paul spoke to this in his epistle of Romans, again, chapter 1 of Romans, verses 24 through 31. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, what is the problem here? The problem is when... God had revealed himself, generally speaking through creation, they glorified not God, they were not thankful, and they are given over to their own imaginations. And they are given over to demonstrate their their wicked unbelief in the basest forms. He says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Again, you have to understand something here. Everything, everything that is listed in this text is the symptom of this problem. They did not retain God in their knowledge. They would not glorify God. They were unthankful, and therefore, they are given over to their own wicked imagination. He says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, 
despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Look at the list. Here it is. And this is God saying, okay, so they will not glorify me. They are unthankful. They are, they do not like to retain me and their knowledge. And so hence the result of that is being continually, uh, for them to continue to pollute their bodies, physically speaking, themselves, and manifest such wickedness. Now, let's go back for just a moment. In verse 4 of Jude, who are these people? They are people who turn the grace of God into freedom to sin. Well, what kind of sins do you think they're using grace as an excuse to cover up? Would you not say there are many of those listed within Paul's list and catalog within Romans chapter 1? Consider it. Even that which Scripture makes very clear as sin, all sexual immorality, that is, that is just dismissed. There's justification for it. Answers are provided. Think about what I'm saying to you. Answers are provided for it. doesn't matter. It's just, this is just how it is. No, that's not just how it is. And we have to recognize what is being stated here. These men who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness are saying, well, grace just covers all this sin. Not apart from Christ. The grace of God, remember what Scripture says. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. The grace of God and the truth of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so without Christ, you don't know grace in this capacity. And so grace does not just sweep sins under the rug. Grace is the goodness of God that delivers us from the power and bondage of such sin. That otherwise, we would give ourselves over to these very sins. Third, they despise dominion. This refers to those who pervert grace as a means or excuse to sin, doing so because they reject authority. This authority, of course, can refer to any authority which would govern or hinder them from, fulfill, from, from fulfilling their vain and wicked imaginations. Such a description, as Jude provides, obviously includes a spirit of lawlessness, as indicated again by the sin of these individuals in perverting God's grace. Those who desire to live lawlessly only do so because they despise anyone or anything that would exert any authority, authority over them. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, we read, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 15, 10, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof shall die. Well, here you have it. Those who... Depart from the way, or forsake the way, correction to them is grievous, and he that hateth reproof shall die. He who hates correction, actually even Scripture refers to that as being a fool, a foolish person. One who hates correction. Now, obviously, it's not that any of us enjoy being corrected, but if we genuinely love truth, then we will be conformed to truth because we love the truth, even when it hurts personally. God has ordained order. We know that to be true. God is a God of order. Look at the universe around you. Look at the world around you. It's very evident God is a God of order. And this order includes the powers that be 
which he has set in place to rule and govern. In Romans 13, 1-7, read these together. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he that beareth not the sword, in, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, to re, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also for they which are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now remember, this is Romans, and I know immediately thoughts go and say, yeah, but that wasn't talking about wicked government. Oh, really? This is to the Romans. Rome is governing. <laughs> Was it not Rome who gave in to the Jews' request? Let him be, or demand, let, or crucify him, crucify him. Were, were they not Roman soldiers that nailed our Lord to the cross? Were they not Roman guards that guarded the tomb? Was uh, Nero not Roman? The point of the matter is that this is not a godly government of which Paul is writing during this time. There's not a godly government in place. So the mentality here or the teaching and, and the instruction is not, okay, as long as government's godly, then you obey, obey government. No, it's saying there is order that God has ordained to be in all powers that are or are ordained of God. I, I have to stop here, and I've asked this many times, especially in our theology class on Tuesday evenings because I, in, in dealing with these matters. Um, I, I just want to ask you, stop for a moment, ask this question. Did Pharaoh, or was Pharaoh, doing the will of God? Okay, let me ask you the second follow-up question then. Moses said to Pharaoh, God sent me and he commands that I tell you, let my people go. What was God's will? Did Pharaoh let God's people go? So, let my people go. Did Pharaoh do God's will? Did Pharaoh let the people go? No, but at the time he demanded it. In the end he did, we know. But when God said to, through Moses, let my people go, did Pharaoh say, okay, sure, I'll let God's people go? No, he did not. So was Pharaoh doing God's will? Absolutely not. He was not doing God's will. But watch. Romans 9 tells us, for this purpose have I raised thee up, speaking to Pharaoh concerning Pharaoh, that I might make my name and power known among the earth. So though Pharaoh was not doing God's will, God was accomplishing his will through Pharaoh. And there is a difference. 
So Pharaoh was in resistance to God's will, but God was still working his will through Pharaoh nonetheless. And ultimately, Pharaoh did let the people go. We understand that in the end. But even after that, what did Pharaoh do? He lamented the fact that he let the people go and goes chasing them, at which time God kills him and the Egyptian soldiers. So again, was Pharaoh doing God's will as he chases the children of Israel to attempt to capture or kill them? Of course not. But was God accomplishing his will even in the rebellion of Pharaoh? Absolutely. So God is still accomplishing his will. Here's the point. I'm, I'm getting some, going somewhere with this. As Paul says in Romans 9, for this purpose have I raised thee up. People say, oh, Pharaoh was not, was not doing God's will. Well, of course not, but God was still doing his will in Pharaoh. Here's the next question. Was Pharaoh a God-fearing man? Of course not. Did Pharaoh love the Lord and follow after his truth and righteousness? Of course not. So, so there's nothing about Pharaoh where he was honoring God, serving God, submissive to God in any fashion or form that's demonstrated apart from when he was brought to his knees and let the people go only to chase after them to capture or kill them. So obviously here we see that Pharaoh is not doing God's will, but God is accomplishing his will in Pharaoh. Hear me, please. Whatever the reason or purpose may be, every power that is in place is ordained to be in that place by God. That's what scripture says. Does that mean that they're God-honoring people? Absolutely not. Does that mean that they love the Lord? Absolutely not. Does that mean that they are doing the will of God? Absolutely not. But here's what we must remember. God is accomplishing his will all the while. By the way, that'll change your view on politics, won't it? God is working his will and purpose. People become frantic and all in an uproar because, oh, someone's in power that shouldn't be in power. No, God allows and puts people in the place they are for his will and purpose to be accomplished. And in the end, guess what will happen? His will and purpose is going to be accomplished. It's important that we recognize that. It's important we remember that. So God has ordained order. And those powers, there is no power but of God. You understand what Paul is saying? There is no one who has any authority outside of God granting him to have that authority. Speaking of a Roman government, don't forget that. It's a Roman government of which Paul speaks. Not Roman alone, but during a time of a Roman governing uh, period in the history of Israel. Fourth, they speak evil of dignities. The noun dignities mean and it refers to glory or glories. Not only do these men pervert God's grace, reject human authority, but as well resent all authority, even rejecting the truth of that which the Lord has com- explained concerning the spiritual realm and the powers that be therein. Second Peter 2, 9 through 11, Peter wrote, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But against them before the Lord. Against them who? These dignities. While there are differing views concerning these two passages, 
Jude and Second Peter, it would appear as though both Jude and Peter, Jude having referenced Michael being confronted by Satan in the following verse, and then Peter referring or referencing the angels who do not rail against the dignities, that the dignities, of course, refer to spiritual powers which men misunderstand or speak of in an evil and ignorant manner. As Peter further explains, 2 Peter 2.12, but these, as natural brute beasts in the next verse, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. So what is the context here? And this, this verse, these verses are a little more difficult to work through. I, I, I submit that to you and concede that fact. But what is the context? First of all, verse 4. There are men crept in unawares who turn the grace of God into freedom to sin. Then the examples are provided of how God judged those who acted in such a manner. Then verse 8 is provided. And in verse 8 we find where he says that these very men, just as those in the examples, they are filthy dreamers. Listen, dreamers. Now I told you earlier, one One reality of that, no doubt, is that it's from the evil imagination of man that wicked actions proceed forth. The book of Proverbs, we're told, as a man thinketh, so is he. Remember that? Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus said concerning the the Pharisees, oh, you look good on the outside like whited sepulchers, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bone, wickedness, rottenness. So everything comes forth out of that. Therefore, coming forth is wicked and rotten no matter how it may appear to or seem to be so it's it's from the heart for of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh it's from the heart that the actions wicked actions of men are are flowing forth or overflowing from the wickedness within the heart itself and so when we when we look at these individuals who were these dreamers defiling the flesh they, they continue to pollute their bodies Selful, sinful indulgence remember the example in Sodom and Gomorrah that we saw last week as it's listed in verse 7 and the sinful indulgence they despise dominion they hate authority because they don't want anyone telling them what is right what is wrong or what to do or what not to do I'm my own person I can do what I want who are, it's my it's my body it's my life who are you to even imply anything that is right or wrong or good or bad? It's me, not you. It's none of your business. Are you following me? I mean, this is very practical, and Jude's explaining this to us. And by the way, grace it becomes license to sin, right? God's gracious, and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a believer, and I have grace, and God forgives. That's not what Jude is saying here at all in this context. He's saying exactly the opposite. Then they speak evil of dignities, as we've seen. So that being said, we see both Jude and Peter both immediately in the following verses reference angels after making this statement. Well, why is that so? Well, I think you have to remember the context, as I mentioned a moment ago. Men often have claimed, think of this for a moment, these are dreamers, right? They're evil imaginations. And men are using the grace of God turning it into freedom to sin. Now watch this. Men have often claimed to have seen a vision or dreamed of dreams, of which Jude even alludes here, attributing such revelation to that of angels speaking to them. However, 
The holy angels of God hold the truth and defend the truth of God, and yet those who speak of having angelic revelations, in reality, MacArthur pointed this out, which is a worthy note, they are blaspheming the Lord that is holy and all that is holy, perverting what the Lord has stated about his word, his messengers, his truth, just as those who use grace as an excuse for sin not only pervert grace, but also deny the Lord and the, and the God, or the Lord, only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ who has bought them. God purchasing them through Christ. Notice verses 9 and 10. We see this continuation. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beast, and those things they, are, they corrupt themselves. Now, we saw where already Peter has said, but these as natural brute beast, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things which they understand not. And just prior to that, he had said, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts, they speak evil of the things they understand not. Then in verse 9, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of the things which they know not. The same thing Peter stated, but what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Look at the parallel between that which Jude states and that which Peter states. And notice when he speaks about them speaking evil of dignities, he then immediately goes to the angels as an example of what is being stated. And in Jude's case, he goes to Michael. And he says that Michael, when the body of Moses, remember the body of Moses was buried by the Lord? And remember Satan says, where's the body? And, and even Michael would not rebuke Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And here's what I believe is being conveyed. Even Michael the archangel, even Michael, who is a leader among the angelic order, even Michael, who is an elect angel, as Paul calls them, I believe, in Thessalonians. He is chosen to be holy and to, be, to remain holy, as we've seen in our study here. In previous verses, verses uh, verse 6. Even Michael would not speak against the fallen angel, Satan. That's what Jude is pointing out. Michael wouldn't rebuke him. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. Now consider this for a moment in this context. Those who are not defending the faith, contending for the faith, those who come in unawares, those who creep in and they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, those who profess and proclaim, and there are whole religious systems built on this, that an angel appeared. And revealed this to me, are speaking evil of holy angels when the holy angels will not even speak evil against fallen angels. And he's saying, Woe unto them. <laughs> so they speak about things they know not, and here's the point just as. Those who 
pervert the grace of God into freedom to sin are also, as we saw in verse 4, denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. So also, those who would make such claims and speak of things that they have no business speaking of, that they have no understanding of, and they are perverting the truth of even those who would guard the truth of God. Meaning, God's messengers, the angels God would send, holy angels, as we know, that when they began to attribute to them their own heretical teaching, saying, oh, I got this from an angel, or oh, God spoke to me about this, and God revealed this, and God showed me this, to make such a claim is to blaspheme God and all things that are holy, just as to turn the grace of God into freedom to sin is to deny the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are serious matters. And here these are, here these men are who have crept in, and this is what they're doing, and they corrupt themselves. And he says, as brute beasts, speaking evil of things which they know not. But what they naturally know in those things, they corrupt themselves. So while Michael, the holy angel and leader among the angels themselves would not rail against the devil, a fallen angel. Men today blaspheme holy angels by speaking evil of them, claiming to have received new revelation when God has delivered the faith once and for all to his people. Because remember, the whole purpose Jude has written this epistle is what? Contend for the faith. And if God's delivered this, once delivered unto the saints, then how is it that men can claim and speak of things of which they know not and claim revelation in things of which God's already said contend for the faith, which is once for all time given to his people. Men will blaspheme that which is holy by speaking against the very truth what God has clearly declared and delivered to believers, while even the holy angels will not speak against the fallen angels. And that is a Noteworthy of consideration. <laughs> it, it, is, it is good for us to consider the seriousness and gravity of that which Jude before us, and Peter also speaks to. But saying that this is dangerous. People are perverting God's grace, and then instead of contending for the faith, the faith, absolute, once and only, one time delivered unto the people of God, and yet there are those who would speak evil in the sense that they are claiming that they are having revelation revealed to them outside of the faith, because that's already been delivered. And so they are, now they have revelation that is given to them, extra-biblical, beyond the faith. And to do so then is to speak evil of the very holy angels they claim are giving them this message because the angels only hold to that which God has declared, and God has already declared and given to us all that he has to say to us as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the importance of the faith and understanding the faith. So again, as we continue through this study, we see that these verses are in relation to verse 4, those men who are turning the grace of God into freedom to sin. And why would they not? And by the way, do we not even see that in cult religions? In, in, in 
large cult religions where angels have appeared to people and now they are filled with immorality and it's okay to be immoral. Now listen, I'll, I'll tell you without question, there are people who profess the name of Christ and there are churches and people within churches that have or, or do or will commit sexual immorality and ungodliness, but it's not okay. It's not just okay, and it's not something that we can sit back and go, well, you know, grace is, God's gracious. Yes, God is gracious, but God also is, and he is righteous, and he has imputed that righteousness on us. So I'm not claiming as though there is a denomination, nor am I claiming that Christianity as a whole is completely pure and has never experienced sin. Of course, that's not the case. But there has no angel ever appeared to any man excusing sin and giving us new insight that, oh, well, this is actually okay after all. No, it's not okay after all. And so it's important that we recognize that warnings again that Jude gives and these woes that he's saying, woe unto them. He goes on to talk about how they go the way of Cain. And we'll get into that because as I've said many times, when you look at Cain and the way of Cain, what is the way of Cain? People say murder. Well, no, not really. That was obviously part of it, but that's not, that's not, that wasn't the, the sin. Murder was the result of his unbelief and attempting to go away other than God's way. And so the way of Cain is any way other than God's way. That's the way of Cain. Abel, of course, followed God's command, offered the, the sacrifices. Blood sacrifices God required, but what did Cain do? No, Cain says, well, I don't want to do that. I'll go, you know, I, after all, it's not convenient for me. I'm not a keeper of the sheep. I'm a, I'm a tiller of the ground. I, I've raised crops, so I'll give God the best that I can produce. God didn't want what Cain produced. That's the way of Cain. And so woe unto them, because men go their way rather than God's way. By the way, what is God's way? The faith. The gospel. His provision, Jesus Christ. Are you seeing the connection here? This is God's way. And anyone who sidesteps that, bypasses Christ, or, or sets aside the faith for their, own, for their own revelation, for their own dreams, for their own evil imaginations, are you seeing how all this comes together? That is not God's way, and God rejects that. And men will be judged accordingly, as the verses have taught us. So again, it's important that we contend for the faith, that we understand there is the faith in which we are rooted, planted, grounded, and we are to be able to explain and live therein and thereby by the working of God's Spirit within us. Let's bow together. Father.